chatting with Sue Robbins of the Transgender Advisory Council for Equality Utah. A busy week last week, Sue, because the interim session of the Utah legislature was going on and bills affecting the transgender community were back in interim after getting pushed back during the session due in no small part to the work you and the folks at Equality Utah are doing. Can you just briefly describe for us the bills that were back in committee this week or the topics? Absolutely. So the way interim works is the House and the Senate come together. And so we were in front of the Health and Human Services Committee. And this particular morning was totally dedicated to two transgender bills, which we saw in the general session. So the first was HB092, which was sponsored by Representative Rex Ship. And that was intended, or at least the, the way it came about the wording, was to eliminate health care for transgender youth, medically necessary health care. And the second was HB 302 during the general session, which was uh, would eliminate transgender girls from participating in girls sports. Let's they could participate in boys sports, but not girls. So those were the two during the general session. But Representative Berklin, Kara Berklin, is the sponsor of the sports bill. And she says she's coming in with a clean slate. A clean ready slate. To, ready to reevaluate this. All right. So we'll talk about that one last. Let's go to the uh, health care for transgender youth, which originally, as I recall from the general session, would it penalize doctors for providing such care to transgender youth or minors? Absolutely. A lot of these bills target doctors to try and forcibly keep them from giving Healthcare that is medically proven, it's backed by the American Medical Association, it's backed by uh, the Endocrine Society. This is not new medicine. This is medicine that's established and has standards of cares that are established throughout the industry. So there's nothing here that is a contrary issue, except there's people all of a sudden that are seeing that there's a transgender community out there that they didn't see before, and they're coming in thinking they're saving us. But in reality, what I feel like a lot of this pushback in the bills is coming from is during the last half decade or so, we have been getting more firming things in place for us, whether it be laws, you know, whether it be serving in the military and things like that. And it's, it's allowing people to come out and feel like they have a safer place. So our exposure is greater, but we had this many transgender people before. We just weren't telling people about ourselves. There was less people coming out. So now everybody feels like being transgender is a trend and it's not a trend. Telling you is a trend. Letting you know who we are is a trend. So the backlash is there. And one of them is in medical bills across the country where we are criminalizing our doctors, potentially the parents, and there was even one state that wanted to press charges against the youth themselves. Wow. And it's just absurd to sit here and attack it this way. So in the interim last week, Health and Human Services Committee, lawmakers invited guests in, and I don't know if you were invited or not <laughs> as a representative of Equality Utah's Transgender Advisory Council, but um, who were the credentialed folks and did they actually have medical credentials in speaking about these bills? So that was the interesting part on the medical bill side. So the sports bills, we'll talk about after, but on the medical bill, from Equal Utah, we brought in Dr. Mickey Hialopoulos, who is the director of adolescent medicine at the University of Utah. She has 
a long history of working with transgender adolescents, runs the Transgender Health Center up there, also works at Primary Children's. So she has experience given this healthcare and running a clinic itself. So she's done all the research. She's seen the numbers, she's seen the youth coming through and has that hands-on experience. On the other side, Representative Shipp uh, said that he didn't feel like he would be able to answer a lot of the questions that may come. So he abdicated his seat to two individuals. One of those individuals is a local Utah person who uh, has, speaks against the transgender community every time a bill comes up in committee. She's always around and she presents, she is a doctor. So she presents herself as a doctor, which is fair, uh, but she never talks about her credentials. And in this time, one of our representatives asked her to clarify, and she is a doctor of instructional design. Not a medical so doctor. Not, not a medical doctor, not even in any type of medicine or mental health fields. Uh, it's, edu it's an educational field. And then the other individual that spoke is, has a master's of social work, is a former director of Evergreen, which was a religious-based uh, anti-LGBT group that supported conversion therapy to the LGBT community, but is currently uh, working as an editor for Family Health Magazine, I believe is the, the periodical, but is an editor of a periodical. Um, so from a mental health perspective, you know, certainly he has some background, although I completely disagree with his stances, but he doesn't have a medicine background. So what is their in objection? Or in technology. What is so, their, pardon me? What are their objections to uh, providing transgender youth this health care? And in fact, going so far as perhaps to criminalizing doctors or even transgender youth who seek out this care, perhaps, like we've seen in other states. What are their objections here in Utah? So the part I'll never understand is why someone wants to come and stop something that has nothing to do with them, but is a very positive thing for another community. They're trying to say that we are altering kids' bodies and then the kids will be upset later. They come up with all the fringe pseudoscience like 84% of transgender people will desist, which means they'll say they're transgender and change their mind. I know literally hundreds, maybe into the thousands of transgender people. I've only known one person who detransitioned and then they retransitioned again. They had to back up to get away from some discrimination and start again. So maybe my experience is a little low, but 84% obviously is not an accurate number. Uh, also, they'll they'll say some of them will feel like that uh, they didn't get care and then their bodies were changed against their will. And the few people that they find out there, they are, uh, there's a group out there called the American College of Pediatrics. That sounds like this great medical group, but in reality, what they are is a, and they say it on their page, they're an advocacy group. And if you look at all the articles they do, there's two topics they touch. One is abortion, which I'll leave alone for the topic of the discussion. And the other is the LGBT community. And everything they they talk about is against the LGBT community. And it's not about medicine. They just come in with their thoughts saying we shouldn't support them. They shouldn't exist. And that's where they're getting some of this information. Plus, the ACP has found a few transgender people who regret it, and they they bring them around to every state legislator. So we keep hearing the same people all there. I could bring hundreds of transgender people that say, 
to the Utah legislature to say, this is medicine we need. These are bills we need. And they'll bring those same few people in from around the country to say, well, I'm transgender and I don't think so. So it's, it's ridiculous, the outsized impact those voices have. Is it the same on the issue of transgender girl students and uh, athletics, where you're seeing the same folks, small group against, or is that a louder conversation? So this one, as I don't know that it's louder from the perspective of people out there who have actually had experience. It's louder because I think it become it brings up more emotions from people because there's less education and understanding. I feel like this bill, these bills on sports came faster than anybody was ready because they don't understand the transgender community. Every pushback I've gotten says, well, I know uh, these boys that have run and even they're like at the top 15% and even the best girls time doesn't go into that. Well, that means nothing to me because we're not talking about boys anywhere in here. We're talking about transgender girls. And transgender girls have medically different bodies than boys. And they keep trying to make that comparison and it's a false narrative. So this bill, it, as it was in the general session, was it, they didn't really worry about transgender boys as much. They said transgender boys can compete with the boys. And they and that's all they said. They said transgender girls uh, need to compete with the boys also, that because it was unfair for them to compete with uh, cisgender girls, which is where the contention comes about. So in this, uh, I commend Representative Berkland because she's starting with a blank slate as far as the bill goes. You know, we'll be talking, so we'll see where our understandings may differ as we go forward, but we're not coming in talking to a bill, which is always a difficult place to start because if you have a bill that has all kinds of problems to it, you're spending your time talking directly to the problems instead of starting with a reset and say, let's lay the groundwork for this discussion and see what we agree on and what we don't agree on, and then let's work from there. So uh, to me, this these discussions, we've set up a series of them over the coming months with Representative Berkeley, and she'll bring a small group with her and we'll have a small group. To me, that's an opportunity to start educating people about us instead of coming from a place of lack of understanding. Now, maybe we won't get a bill we like out of it. Maybe we'll get it closer to where we want. But my hope here is to get out of a general session where we're fighting in a very tight timeline when we might have a half hour, an hour meeting with each other and then a bill hits the floor and be able to educate and be able to understand each other more. And maybe we can start moving the needle of where people understand the transgender community and go, aha, now I know more about you. Now we're starting to come together more. And like I said, we may not get the bill we want. And if we get a bad bill, then you know, obviously we're going to say so. But if we can get an understanding of us that every step gains us something towards the future, and we've got to make these steps. We've got to talk. We've got to come to the table. We keep saying coming to the table and being at the table is the Utah way. And that's how we've done LGBT bills for years. And we need this to keep happening. We need to keep having a voice. So at least she's starting with a blank slate. And I'm just curious what you think of 
the playing field, for lack of a better term, on this issue during interim, where you definitely have some lawmakers on uh, right of center who feel that this is this is a huge problem when, like you said about um, uh, the other bill, it's more people are realizing that there is a transgender community. What is the percentage on transgender athletes or transgender people, not to mention whatever you pass is going to affect intersex people too? Yeah, so transgender athletes are a little hard to put a number on. So we know at the Olympics they've had a a hormone-based policy for transgender women since 2004. And that was based on, you know, the Olympics has been doing studies since the 1930s and they used the world's best minds. And since 2004, not one transgender person has gotten through the Olympic trials to compete in the Olympics. So zero representation. We have one hopeful this year, but um, she might have an injury problem. So there's already a possibility there. She's ranked 16th in the world in her uh, field. The NCAA put a policy in place in 2011 with the United States Best Medical Minds. And in the tens of thousands of people who have competed in the NCAA since, we've had one medalist in Division II. And then there was an article in the Associated Press in March that the, the writer went around and talked with over two dozen uh, state representatives and conservative uh, people who were supporting these sports bands and said, transgender people, name me some transgender athletes where you see a problem. And they couldn't come up with them other than a couple lower level uh, examples out of hundreds of thousands of high school students. So identifying the transgender athletes is hard because they're either not out there because we deal with a lot and we're having to deal with policies that are keeping us out of sports, or maybe we're not telling everybody. <laughs> it's very possible to compete in sports without waving a flag saying, hey, I'm transgender. There's no law that says you have to wave a flag. So you know, there's really a whole lot to peel back on that. But for uh-huh. the community as a whole, the last survey I saw said 1.8% of youth identify as gender diverse. So gender diverse gives us a breadth of the way our kids are experiencing themselves, but that gives us a feeling of the youth that are impacted on this, on the transgender side. The intersex side, which is a medical um, analysis, you you can go in and identify who is intersex. 1.7% of the population is intersex. So you tie the two together, that's 3.5% of our youth. It might sound like a small number, but that's a significant amount of our youth that can be impacted by negative outcomes from these bills. Here's my what about question for you, Sue. What about (laughs) equality for uh, girls' athletics and these bills? Is Is there a different perspective on this that you'd like to offer when it comes to equality and uh, female athletics? Yes, so we're all about fairness and inclusion for all, whether you're transgender, intersex, or cisgender. So we don't feel like transgender girls or intersex girls should be excluded in any way. You know, we can quantify what that means, whether, um, you know, you got to be able to put some words to paper, but it's not going to be an oppressive type of effort. But girls' sports, women's sports, has all kinds of equality issues. We're coming after the transgender community saying we want fairness for women's sports and women's sports has forced playing fields. They 
They get the worst times. They don't get the same amount of money for uniforms. They may not have the same training for their officiants. Why don't we address some of that while we're talking about it? Let's fix some of the things that are real problems and longstanding problems and broad problems. I mean, we can't identify transgender people in sports as it is. We can certainly identify all these other issues and we never address them. And, you know, we saw this with the collegiate basketball um, tournament where (laughs) the men's side uh, had this luxurious, big, wide open uh, training. And then the women had like a rack of weights. (laughs) It was just crazy. I don't remember that story. Yeah, I saw that. And it was all of a sudden because of the reaction, there was all this equipment that was shipped out for the women's. The women just had, you know, probably couldn't even get the women to congregate anywhere near it. And all of them touched the equipment because it was so little and the men just had this huge room. That's the kind of thing that's happening everywhere. We treat women's athletics like, oh, thank you for participating. And the men's athletics is all about, uh, you know, competition and everything. And the women don't get the same opportunity. It was an interesting thing that happened in the committee actually demonstrated one of the points is after each speaker spoke, we'd speak for a given amount of time and then they could ask us questions. And then after we went through each speaker, then we did a panel where they could broadly ask questions, the whole panel. And throughout that, there was representatives or senators who would buzz in to ask a question and then they would pontificate. They'd never get to a question. They'd just tell a story and make a statement and get their point across and never ask a question. And then I Representative Candace Perucci did that. Mr. Chair, may I make a comment as well on that? Yeah, that really wasn't a question, more of a speech, but we'll give you Just a... like six other men previously, so. Okay. okay. It was a very valid point. Six men were allowed to just do whatever not necessarily ask a question. And then when it came to the women, here's where we need to stick to the rules. <laughs> Sue Robbins of Equality Utah's Transgender Advisory Council. Check tonight's show post for a link. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Michael Franti. Yes, I will. KRCL 90.9.